Welcome to the newest episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. This has been an absolute uh, train wreck trying to get this 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 cart started here um, tonight. Major technical issues. I'm recording this on my cell phone. Jared is hosting the call. Um, my computer is no longer operable right now. So um, this has been a really fun, uh, enjoyable last 40 minutes as we've frantically tried to see if we get this show going. Um, we've reverted back to older technology, although not that old because it's cell phone as opposed to like, um, I, I don't even know what like the 1950s recording technology would be. Um, needless to say, there's quite the exposition as we jump in here to the Wednesday episode of the Odds and Audibles podcast. It's a mailbag podcast, as I gave away a moment ago. Um, I am your host, Eric Scopel, joined by Jared Mack. We've got seven questions to get to. And frankly, I'm just excited to, to get this done with. Not that I'm not enjoying this podcast typically, but That's today has just to been, it, yeah. well, I just hate to say it. Today's been such a mess trying to get this going and it's now almost six o'clock and uh, I just want this to be done with so I can drive over to the Mac store and, and figure out if I have a computer that is still operable going forward or if I need to purchase a new one. Uh, Jared, how are you doing today? You know, we're doing okay. Uh, I have to say it's been it's been a whirlwind these last 40 minutes trying to get this to work, but we're here. We are recording and we are about to start. I think what I learned and Jared probably learned as well is that the the 10 year difference between us is massive from a technological adeptness perspective. <laughs> as I sit here and I and I, 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 I try to explain what is wrong with it. It takes about five minutes, and then Jared trying to figure out solutions. It takes about five minutes for me to understand what those solutions are, and then we, and then we kind of get to the point where we realize I don't really know anything, um, and I don't have any of the technology. And then even even the way we're doing it now, uh, we're doing it on my cell phone, and I don't have the earbud technology for headphones, so it's either charge the phone or put the headphones in. And we're now kind of a race against the clock, so we're going to jump to some <laughs> questions here because the longer I speak and don't have this charging, the 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 higher the uh, I guess probability that the podcast completely cuts out. So we're going to open today's show after quite the introduction. Apologies for that. I think some of you probably find it funny, like I do. Um, some of you would probably like get to the question, so we're going to do that. First one from at crazy underscore quacker. Will this current class of quarterbacks define the Cristobal era moving forward, i.e. one of them leads the team to multiple Pac-12 titles and a playoff appearance versus none of them living up to the duck quarterback standard, no titles, no playoffs in the next four years. Hashtag odds and audibles. Thank you, crazy, for using the hashtag. And I think this is his first question, Phil. Thank you so much for submitting one. We had a lot today. Um, and we're, we're actually only using about half of them for the show. So maybe we'll reuse some of those next week. Um, if not, regardless, go ahead and send your questions in. Good place to start the show, I think, Jared, because it's kind of short-term and long-term here um, and pretty global in kind of what it's getting at. To start here, like, let's just, it's pretty, pretty simple. This isn't like anything breaking. Everybody knows this, but the quarterback position happens to be quite important. And uh, if you don't have good Sorry, quarterback play, yeah. yeah, if you don't have good quarterback play, i.e. last year, um, i.e. a couple of times in the last decade when Oregon didn't have a very good season, maybe the year Justin Herbert replaced Dakota Prukops, an example, things don't go great. Um, so, like, yeah, to your point, like, I think, like, just take out the current class, like, just the quarterback position is going to define pretty much every era of every college football, professional, high school program around the country. So, like, to get that, like, out of the way, like, yeah, whoever ends up emerging as a starter, that player is, is very much going to define and his success or lack thereof will define kind of this era for the, you know, for Cristobal. Um, and this is important because 
Cristobal inherited a team that had Justin Herbert for a couple of years. Obviously, we saw the success in 2019. And then last year, the, the first year post-Herbert, where it's a quarterback he recruited, um, it didn't go great. So, you know, that there's kind of one strike against. And I know that last year was so funky. I don't know if a full strike, maybe like a half strike against, but certainly not a great start to, to kind of life after Justin Herbert. And so, yeah, I think whoever ends up emerging is going to be critical in kind of ensuring that Cristobal steers the ship. Um, and like maybe just from like an expectations perspective here, Jared, like is the way he's outlining it, is, is, is that where Oregon's headed as a program where if it's no titles, I mean, that's conference titles, no playoffs in the next four years, this is a total failure? Because I think I'd probably agree with it. Do you? Oh, yeah, I'd agree with it. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of the, the standard that Mario Cristobal and his staff have been preaching publicly the last few years uh, after the Rose Bowl win in 2019, or I guess it was 2020. Um, that's that's kind of the standard that they're at. And so I think it's a, obviously this current class is going to define the Cristobal era. Um, I think you have you know, three remarkable quarterbacks with Robbie Ashford, Jay Butterfield, and you know, Ty Thompson is the highest rated quarterback recruit to come into Oregon. So I do think that, and like you were saying, Eric, before, it's like every coach is kind of, you know, their success success is based off a quarterback. And that agree uh, that, that applies here as well. And uh, you kind of have your pick of the litter on which one you want. And I know some fans think Ty is the answer right now, even above Anthony Brown and others think it could be Rob Ashford. Others think it could be Butterfield. So I think you have a nice problem to have in three quarterbacks who you think could you know, lead the team in the next couple of years. But at the end of the day, you know, Cristobal is going to be looking for the guy who will bring them to a playoff appearance, to a national championship game, to a Rose Bowl berth, you know, to multiple Pac-12 titles. And in Cristobal's mind, you know, playing at Miami in the 90s and being under Coach Saban, a national championship or a playoff appearance is success. You know, anything else to him is it can be looked at as successful, but to him, uh, getting to that upper echelon of success is probably his pinnacle and his most wanted desire as from the Oregon football program. You know, and I think you have to look at this from this perspective, and I know that I feel this is true. I think this is the most talented top to bottom Oregon's had from a roster perspective entering 21. I think you probably based upon recruiting successes, think that that is just going to continue to be the case. And every year you're improving the roster and quarterback should be no different. And from a recruiting rankings perspective, it, it is, you know, it, this is probably on paper, the most talented collection of underclassmen quarterbacks Oregon has ever had. In fact, I would say, you know, based upon objective data, that's the case. So getting some success here is, is imperative. And, and I do think like to the, just to the original question of like, if this group does not have some of the success of competing for playoffs for winning multiple conference championships, probably for some individual awards, or at least being the conference player of the year, that's going to be looked at as a, as a supreme dis- disappointment. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think when 100%. you sign a Ty Thompson and a Jay Butterfield and a Robbie Ashford to go with all you have at running back receiver and all the other positions, if you come away with it, not winning conference championships, I think really quickly this transitions into the discussion you have around like USC of, Hey, they have all these incredible recruiting classes. Why aren't they winning more? And I think it's been easy the last couple of years and just rightfully so not to make those comparisons because Oregon's won the conference, you know? And so if there's a regression almost with improved talent on the roster, 
that's going to be a problem. And I, I have a lot of optimism. This won't be the case and that, that, you know, we're, we're not having a conversation in four years about how, boy, this whole thing didn't work out with Cristobal because they couldn't get the quarterback right. I mean, there's too much talent on the roster and on the coaching staff for that to be the case. Um, but I do think it's apps 100% correct that like what happens at quarterback is, is going to be very, very critical in the success of each season. And if they don't reach the barometers, which I probably agree with from, you know, from what crazy quack wrote there, not probably, I do agree with um, that. This is going to be considered a disappointment. I don't think it'll get there, but that's certainly the way to frame, I guess, this season and the upcoming years. Next one yeah. from at, Oh, go ahead, Jared. Yeah. Sorry. No, just to add on, like I, your, your sentiment about USC and how, you know, outsiders look at them as like, okay, you guys have all this talent. Why, why aren't you putting it to good use basically? And I think that storyline could quickly develop in Oregon with, you know, the last couple of recruiting classes and, you know, getting five stars and going into Texas, getting Calvin Banks Jr. You know, people like that, you, the, that grabs national attention. And if a quarterback doesn't come through and, you know, learn the system and, and take Oregon to those heights, that could quickly become the narrative. But I like you, I do have, you know, this growing confidence under Crystal Ball and uh, offense coordinator Joe Moorhead that I don't feel like that's going to be the case. I feel like one of these three quarterbacks, whoever it may be, maybe it's Anthony Brown this year, can take them to that next level of success. Next one from at Duck Cruz with Ohio State opening against Minnesota for a tough conference road game. Do you think that Oregon – will have the edge since they have an easier opening game. By comparison, Fresno State is a solid program. I don't know what kind of an advantage it really, really gives Oregon ultimately. I mean, do I agree with just like the – like Minnesota is better than Fresno State and the fact that Fresno State comes to Oregon and Minnesota, you know, hosts Ohio State. Like, sure, like that's from an opening – weak perspective like it's pretty hard to argue that that's not like some sort of you know at you know Oregon has a, a little bit easier and that that's not somewhat advantageous but I, I don't even really know why that's over you know, all of that beneficial for a, a team you know I mean like it's one thing if it's like it's one thing if it's if it's not Minnesota and it's Alabama and Ohio State opens with like Alabama and then Oregon which no team would ever do ever and from a scheduling perspective it's just like basically suicide <laughs> Um, but like, if, like, I don't think it's really that much of a, I don't think it really matters that much. In fact, like it could be a positive thing for Ohio state to not have, uh, you know, a, a game, you know, or to have a game where maybe the, whatever, the, cause it's going to be a true freshman quarterback or a first year starting quarterback, at least for Ohio state. And I think CJ Stroud is probably the guy ultimately is, is the kind of the rumblings you're seeing right now. Um, and I'm sure we'll have more information on that in the coming weeks and months, but um, not even months now because we're, we're less – we can't even pluralize months really, Jared, because we're that close now. Um, right but I, I, it's crazy. It's crazy. And Jared's first day, by the way, Duck Territory coming up here rather shortly here, less than a week away. So that'll be full-time. That is very exciting. Um, congrats again, Jared, on that. Thank, uh, thank July, you, thank July, July 26th, first day for that's Jared. It. And it's going to be a heck of a thing to have all three people full-time again um, once Matt comes back from vacation, which, by the way, is where he's at. I did mention that on the open because I was overwhelmed with other things and now I'm rambling and getting away from my point. But uh, <laughs> what I guess what I'm getting at is, is I, I, I don't think, I mean, like maybe it could be at somewhat advantageous for how to say where let's say CJ Stroud needs to, to drive, you know, make some plays down the, you know, the stretch of a game to beat Minnesota, as opposed to a game where Anthony Brown maybe can kind of cruise against Fresno state. 
maybe. I mean, I, I don't think really the difference between opponents in the first week really matters very much at all, unless it's so drastic that you think Ohio State's going to like have to pull out all the stops week one and Oregon basically could sit its starters for the final three quarters. Neither of those things are true. I don't think actually there's that much of a huge disparity between Minnesota and Fresno State. Sure, like Minnesota's a better program. It's on the road, like, you know, adv- you know edge there. I think Oregon's going to have to play hard against Fresno State for more quarters than fans probably think. Like, they've got some really talented players. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks here, and I don't think that's a game where Oregon's like 49 to 10 and they're sitting guys the whole second half. I think both teams are going to have to work in their first week. And I don't necessarily think that that really impacts anything that happens week two. I, am I totally off base here, Jared? Or, or like, am I crazy? Or, or you, you kind of see what Duck Cruz is getting at? No, I, I agree with you, Eric. I mean, just to answer the question of if it gives Oregon an edge, I mean, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I would say that Fresno State is the lesser of the two programs compared to sure. Minnesota. And it's Minnesota is taking on Ohio State and they're going to Minnesota. But, yeah, I just – I think for both teams, this week one is going to be just as important. Um, Oregon has, you know, some newcomers on offense and they need to get it accustomed. And the defense is going to have some new faces as well. And, you know, Ohio State might actually need – a tough game early on to get presumably CJ Stroud some, some confidence and get some mojo going through him. But I don't, it's not, I don't think it's just going to give Oregon a big edge or anything like that um, because you don't know what's going to happen in either of these games. This is why you play them, um, you know, and you know, barring injuries, everything, everyone should return healthy and it'll, it'll still be a great matchup in Columbus. It's, I don't think either team is going to get an edge here, frankly. The only way it becomes majorly advantageous to either side is if there are some personnel adjustments that take place because of it. You know, let's yeah. say uh, there's let's say there's an injury or let's say there's a player, let's say one of the starting quarterbacks performs really, really poorly and they make a switch. I don't think either side does that unless it's just like a disaster and it's mm-hmm. terrible. But like, I mean, those are the kind of things that really matter. Those are the things that probably impact things more, you know, less what happens in that first game on the field as, as much as it is like just a personnel switch for either team is suddenly, right. you know, is suddenly a player that was supposed to be a big impact player, not available or just, yeah, like I said, just suddenly CJ Stroud was so bad in that game or Anthony Brown was so bad in that game. You've got a new quarterback. I mean, those are the things that impact that matchup more than, than who they're playing. And I don't think uh, either program is going to go like on a week to week basis with who's no. starting and who's coming in. Like in week one, those guys are going out there probably in week two and in week three and then week four, and then maybe halfway through the season, they might make an adjustment, but yeah, it's right. just, they're both teams are going to need, you know, week one to get acclimated. And that's exactly what they're going to get playing either Minnesota or Fresno state. Yep. That's the way this works. Those are kind of, like you said, I think that's the right way to say it. acclimation games. I do think Minnesota is better than Fresno state, but I think to the <laughs> original point, I don't know if it's really beneficial one way or the other. Next one from at Duck Scribe. When will the Ducks start promoting KT big time for the Heisman, or will they just let him show the way? You know, I was thinking about this earlier, Jared. I, I, Oregon is, you know, you think back to, I think, the origination of this concept of, like, promoting a Heisman Trophy candidate, and you think of, like, Joey Harrington in 2000, I think it was 2001 or 2002, and they put the mm-hmm. big billboard in New York City mm-hmm. on the side of the building, and it's this huge thing, and it was huge for – Joey Harrington was huge for the program. It was huge for, and it ended up kind of working. Harrington was at least in the discussion and was, I think, a finalist that year. But I, Oregon's not that program anymore where they need to promote 
that way. And I, I don't think you're going to suddenly see like KT for Heisman, you know, plastered everywhere. Maybe, maybe, you know, and here's a good NIL idea. Maybe, maybe you'll see some shirts being sold or something around town there. And maybe you can get KT to, you know, I don't know, you put his face on, on a t-shirt for you and, and put the Heisman trophy. Maybe that's complicated to get the Heisman's you know, right off too, if you're trying to do this all legally. And there's a, a way for KV, you know, Kayvon to, to benefit off of an idea like that. But like, I, I don't think you're going to see Oregon really get behind, you know, promoting with like billboards like they used to, or promote even promoting on social media. And like, I say that because it, it seems to me under Mario Cristobal that a lot of the quote unquote, like promoting a player or pushing a player into the spotlight is probably just going to be done through what he says to media or. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't see, I don't see Mario is a promotion, a promotional person in terms of like, he wants to support his guys, but I don't, I just don't see, I don't see really much background to really set up the expectation that we're going to see some sort of campaign start here. And then the other part is Jared, like it's such a long shot, a defensive player even wins this. So, I mean, which is probably a, why maybe you would want to go all in and, and really push for it because that's the only way that it's really achievable is if, is if you do that, but I just think it's such a long shot that Thibodeau even is really even a finalist or has a real shot at this, that it's just like, it almost feels like you're wasting resources. So like, I do, do I think they'll just let him show the way that's going to be what they do. And I don't, I mean, maybe, maybe Thibodeau sitting here going like, no, you guys need to be, you know, with, with the caliber player I am, I need to be promoted in a certain way, but I just don't see that from him or from anyone on this program to expect. I know this is kind of like shooting down the question, but uh, you know, duck scribe. I, I think it's, it's an interesting one. Cause I do think he'll garner a lot of attention this year, but I, I don't know if they really need to go out and manufacture it the way that they have in the past, certainly not the way they did 20 years ago. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, I think your point about how Mario coach Cristobal and how he kind of pumps up his player through the media. I think that's going to be about it. It's going to be more so, I envision this campaign not really being a whole campaign, but something where, you know, Coach Cristobal or Coach Joe down on the defensive line where they will talk about Kayvon and his progression through the season and his stats and whatever. And maybe you'll have a couple of players on the team also back him up. But I can't, other than fans really going after this whole narrative of Kayvon for the Heisman, it's just going to be such a tough task. Charles Woodson was the last guy to do it in 1990, something like that. Like 96, maybe somewhere in that range. Yeah. And so, and if he, if you're not a quarterback, if you're not a running back, I mean, you saw Devontae Smith win it last year only because he had like one of the most ridiculous seasons by a wide receiver ever. I just can't see it. I mean, KT would have to put up absolutely absurd numbers. I'm not saying he can't do it, but the numbers he would have to put up would just be unbelievable and but if they could get him into the, the, the discussion at least if Kayvon could have a season and the coaches talk about it the players talk about it and occasionally you'll get a tweet from the Oregon football account or maybe even you know the University of Oregon account I think that would be a win I think to get him on the national stage not even saying get him to New York City for the Heisman night but just to just to have it as a talking point where someone brings up oh you know it's kind of like how people brought up Panay Sewell for Heisman, you know, last year, but like pre-pandemic. Um, but I, I, I just can't see it, frankly. 
But just a couple thoughts to build off this. Like, I'm not saying that if, like, let's say Thibodeau has three sacks against Ohio State and midway through the season he has, like, 14 sacks. And it's just unbelievable record-breaking stuff that Oregon isn't going to push him into the narrative and there's not going to be a, some sort of effort to get him really into the discussion because Oregon right. would do that. I just don't see mm-hmm. preseason really the desire to do that. And then the second thing, I wanted to read a quote from, from April of this year of Cristobal kind of championing championing uh, championing i'm having a trouble hard time with that word uh thibodeau as a as a one of the top players in the country because i think this is about the extent of what you're going to get out of cristobal certainly and, and again they maybe the average you know marketing department will do something i just kind of don't expect it but here's what cristobal said in april we feel he can be the best player in the country it's safe to say that knowing him he's going to use that as motivation he's not a guy that allows it to go to his head he's going to be energized he's going to allow us to push him and get the most out of him Big, big future for him. I mean, as big as it gets, sky's the limit. He knows the sky's the limit for our program, and he's going to be leading that charge. I mean, that's about as complimentary Mm -hmm. and as praiseworthy as you're going to get from any coach at any level. Um, And that certainly is kind of the way you perceive someone like Thibodeau, and it makes sense that Cristobal is going to say that. I don't think you're going to see him really go to the next level and say he should be the Heisman Trophy winner until we get to a point where that's, like, actually feasible. Yeah. All right. Next one from at Duck 93 what impacts will players with great potential like Adrian Jackson and Patrick Herbert have this year? I did do a 10 breakout offense, 10 breakout defensive players list. Um, I think that was about a week ago. I had Adrian Jackson on my defensive list. I did not have Patrick Herbert on my offense list. Doesn't mean that Herbert can't be one of those guys. I just think, honestly, there are tight ends on the team I liked better and I don't want to be too much of a, downer on Herbert but like I might like Herbert fifth most at the position like is that crazy Spencer well I mean I like Spencer Webb and DJ Johnson more and then I probably like Maliki Matavajo and Terrence Ferguson just as much based upon what I've seen I mean to be frank Herbert hasn't shown anything on the field he missed all of last season for an undisclosed injury he was participating in the spring but didn't exactly blow the doors off in the scrimmage or the spring game. And again, this is limited stuff. And if we had more spring practice and I was out there watching and he was with the first team every day, I might be singing a different tune, but like right now I'm kind of like, I think there's probably a better shot that Patrick Herbert is a, a player's looking to transfer by the end of the season or just as, or maybe he just wants to be at Oregon and is comfortable not playing a big role and accepts that. Then there is that he's going to be like the second leader in receptions this year. I, I, I really just don't see him in that light right now. I may have a completely mm-hmm. different perspective in a couple of weeks when fall camp starts and we get out there and we start seeing some stuff, but I don't know right now. That's where I'm at with him. I love Adrian Jackson have for a while. I think he's extremely athletic. I think he's somebody that kind of almost gets overlooked because of the Noah Sewells and the Justin flows and the cave on Thibodeau's and Mace Funas who've come since him. But when Adrian Jackson is healthy, he's a really good player. Um, it's just been a hard time the last couple of seasons. I do think Jackson can be a really, really dynamic player off the edge. Right now, he's been backing up Thibodeau as that standing edge rusher guy. And I'm not going to be surprised at all if he's there this season all the way through and, and he ends up a year where he has four to five sacks and, and makes a lot of plays. So I'm higher on Jackson than Herbert in terms of guys in 2021. How about you? Yeah, I'd like to piggyback off your Jackson comments. Yeah, no, uh, Adrian Jackson has been a like a uh, someone I think who is going to be really good. I mean, like – his freshman year he played and he was, he was good. He jumped off the page just from his pure athleticism, but yeah, I mean, having his injury history, it's been tough. And I do think him being back up to KT is not going to be 
as substantial a difference when KT goes off the field as some might think. Uh, mm-hmm. I think if Jackson is fully healthy, I think he can fill that mold and provide a lot of good downs for this defense. Because I, I mean, the spring game we saw his his first step beat a lot of guys off the line, and I think that's a, a quality that KT has, as we've all seen the last couple of years. Um, so I like him a lot as like a helium guy, someone who's going to float up and you know start making impact no matter how, no matter how often they play him. Uh, I'm, I think I'm a little more warm on Patrick Herbert than you, Eric, seemingly. Yeah. Um, I like and I, him. I, I, I want to be clear that I'm not like ice cold on him. No, yeah, just, yeah. I, I think there's some guys that are better. And I, I'm like, I'm not totally shocked if he ends up being kind of a factor, but I'm at this point, I just haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that's really like likely. Yeah, no, I understand. I, I, I like Matabal. Is that it? Yeah. Uh, I like him uh, in terms of long-term potential more than I like Herbert, but you know, Spencer Webb has, he's come and gone. Uh, there's moments in games where he's, he's really involved and, and that might've been the offensive play calling too, as well. But um, I just think that Herbert is, if he's healthy, can, you know, can use his height, can use it as, as athleticism and um, just provide an easy target for either Anthony Brown or whoever's behind, behind center to really look for in that 10 to 15 yard range down the field. I don't know. I just, uh, just from like the very few scenes that I've seen him in, I just feel like he can provide a little bit more of a spark than other guys on the tight end depth chart. We'll uh, see there. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that one's, that one's wide open. The tight end position is probably the position that I have the least comp, like not to say least confidence, but the least clarity maybe of how it's going to break out just because yeah. you look at the way 2020 went and Herbert wasn't available. Webb wasn't available. DJ Johnson was the only guy on the roster who played. And then he came into spring and DJ Johnson wasn't available and all the other guys are back and you bring in these two newcomers. And it's just like, we haven't had a, a camp or a season yet with this group where we've really had everybody available. And that makes it kind of hard to handicap and, and really have a great idea. I think of how it's going to play out. But like I said mm-hmm. earlier, I, I go Webb and Johnson as a duo at the top by themselves, the two freshmen and Herbert as kind of the next group. And I don't know if I have Herbert behind both Matavajo and Ferguson in my head right now, but I just certainly have behind Matavajo. I mean, I think Ferguson had a better spring game, but I think pretty slight a build still. Maybe Herbert has an edge there from a physical development perspective. Yeah. All right. Fifth question from at Tosh Myers. Given that the 2019 Ducks were much more talented and experienced than the 2021 Ducks and that the 2019, 2019 team lost to a 9-4 and Auburn team and barely beat a 10-4 Wisconsin team, why should we believe that 2021 Ducks will contend with Ohio State? Or be in the college football playoff hashtag. Oh, it's an audibles. Thank you, Tosh, for using the hashtag. I will say I was in the midst or right about to do a bunch of research to actually kind of challenge the, the first two points that Tosh makes here about talent and experience um, before my laptop went kaput. That was literally <laughs> what I was sitting down to do because I was like, is that true? Like, are they more talented in 2019, more experienced? Um, I'll say without having the data totally in front of me, because again, I don't have it. Um, the talent part, I'm just going to argue at face value. And I know, I know quarterback, obviously 2019 is better than 2021. There's no question about it. Um, but like you look across the rest of the position groups and, and I guess the offensive line was way more experienced in 2019, probably more, probably more talented just because of the cohesiveness and experience. So I'll give you that one. But like you look at the rest of it and I just have a hard time really agreeing with like, it's the same running backs. The receivers are definitely better. 
I think the front seven and the secondary secondary maybe is the one where I would push back on, but the front seven's definitely better. So like that's not necessarily much more talented. Um, and if you use just a base, like baseline of recruiting ranking stuff, I, I know for a fact, based upon the, the research I've done in the past weeks or so about the blue chippers, four and five stars, that there's more on this year's roster than any before. So much more talented. I'm going to cross that one off more experienced. I really, again, wish I had this data in front of me um, because I think there's probably some truth to that. And probably a lot of truth to that at certain position groups, like the offensive line in 2019 was literally just like four seniors in Sewell. You had Herbert at quarterback who was a senior. I, mean, I guess I could run through some of this, um, you know, tight end. You had a couple of guys that were veterans. I mean, Breland wasn't playing at the end of the season, but he was older. So maybe some of this is accurate from an experience perspective, certainly from an experience in big game perspective, because even if we say guys are, if we, even if we say last year counts, it was only half a season. So it's not quite the same experience. So you have to kind of take that into account, I think. Um, so I'll, I'll give you more experience. I don't think I'll give you more talented. Um, now to the question that you, you, you came up here after with Tosh about why do I think they can compete with Ohio state and be in the college football picture? I actually don't, <laughs> I actually, I actually am with you on that part. I don't think this is a, a team that's going to beat Ohio state. And I don't think this is a team that's going to be in the college football playoff because if they don't beat Ohio state, it's basically implausible for them to be in the college football playoff picture, which is again, why they need to restructure all of this. And I'm happy they're looking into it. Um, but my point is like, yeah, even if I think this is more talented, and again, I think this is, I've said this before, and it, it, it's, I feel like it sounds more significant than maybe people want to give it credit for. I think this is the most talented Oregon's had top to bottom, period, ever, in their program, in their history of the program. This is the most talented roster. I just don't know what the heck's going on at quarterback, and there's a couple other position groups where, yeah, there isn't a lot of experience, and it's important position groups. Like, I don't feel great about DJ James or Dante Manning or – any of these young corners, Triquas Bridges being on an island against the receivers that Ohio State has because Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are like top 10, top 15 draft picks. One of those guys could get torched. Um, that's not ideal in that matchup. And again, the quarterback thing, at best you have an advantage in experience, Brown versus Stroud slash whoever it ends up being, but you don't have the talent advantage there. So I think Ohio State's going to beat Oregon. I think it's going to be a pretty competitive game. I don't think Oregon's going to get thrashed because, frankly, aside from the Fiesta Bowl, when Oregon has been in big games under Cristobal, they've always been really competitive, even once they lose. So I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I don't think Oregon's going to win that. And if they don't beat Ohio State, the college world playoff just isn't really going to happen unless they run the table the rest of the season. And as we've said before, no Pac-12 team has ever gone 9-0. and and that would actually have to be 10 and 0 when you throw in the Pac 12 championship game. So push back a little bit on a couple of the ways you were describing the disparity between 2019, 2021. Don't push back at all with your final conclusion. I, I don't think this is a team that's going to beat Ohio state. I think they'll compete with them and I think it'll be a fun game. And I just don't think the college football playoff is really a, a plausible thing unless you win this game. Yeah, I, I actually full heartedly agree with you there. I, I agree with you with that. This team is much more talented overall than the 2019 team. I mean, clearly Justin Herbert and Panay Sewell with exceptions there, but yeah. it's just so much more talented in terms of depth. Um, I mean, just look at the wide receiver room in 2019 compared to now. I think there's, I don't know, how many guys are you going to take over the, the, you know, the freshman duo of Dante Thornton and, and Troy Franklin. Uh, that's a heck of a duo right there, but, Clearly one of those guys. One of those guys probably starts that year in 2019, and, the, and and neither of those guys are probably top five right now. At right. receiver, 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And obviously the 2019 was more experienced. I mean, you had seniors mm-hmm. everywhere. Troy Dye, sure. Herbert, the entire offensive line, Hunter Campmore, who was a valuable part of that 2019, no matter what. Um, and, you know, the list goes on with all those guys. But, yeah, and at the same time, I don't have a lot of confidence in this Oregon team to beat Ohio State. And that's not a bad thing. Ohio State, year after year, we've seen it as a, you know, as a, almost a national champion. They're a perennial college football playoff team. They're in the discussion every single year. And I know they're replacing Justin Fields with C.J. Stroud, but, you know, C.J. Stroud is pretty darn good. He's going to be starting his first true college game this year, and it's probably going to be, like, against Minnesota, like we said earlier. Mm -hmm. But this is still one of the best teams in the country. Um, You mentioned their wide receivers, but also their defensive line is going to be quite a handful for Oregon's less than ideally experienced offensive line. Um, there are, there are powerhouse and cornerbacks as well, sending people to the league. Um, it's just a really darn good football team. And at the end of the day, it's also in Columbus, in the horseshoe. It's going to be a tough game for Oregon to pull out unless Anthony Brown plays out of his mind. Um, it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult. And again, not a bad thing. This is a great game for this young and relatively inexperienced group and this 2021 recruiting class that came in to learn from. They're going to look back on this game and understand what it's like to lose to a big opponent, understand what it's like to be on the biggest scale on national television, and hopefully they take that and they learn from it. Uh, and I think that's what that 2019 did, team did too, losing to Auburn. Um, but Again, this is always why we play the games. But yeah, no, Eric, I think I you know, 100% agree on basically everything you said. Well, and I don't want to be completely writing them off, but the, the scenarios where Oregon wins are, I think, one of two. It's either a really ugly game and, not, you know, and, and C.J. Stroud or whatever, whoever takes over the offense for Iowa State is just miserable and makes a bunch of mistakes, turns it over, which, again, that can, kind of thing can happen. I, I mean, it's a different position, but I still still think of like, DeAnthony Thomas goes on to be one of the greatest players in Oregon history. His first game, he fumbles it twice and they lose to LSU, not in totally part because of it, but in part because he puts the ball on the turf twice and at least, I think, 14 or 10 points. Um, Stroud could have a really stinker of a first game. Um, that's not totally impossible. I mean, Justin Herbert got beaten 70 to 21 in his first start in those different circumstances a little bit, but you get the picture. picture. Like, it's not impossible that whoever the starting quarterback is has a bad game and it's an ugly game and maybe it's one you know, 16 to 14 or 17 to 14 or, you know, something like that. And it's low scoring. The other one is like Anthony Brown is absolutely amazing. And Oregon's offense is absolutely amazing. And they just totally dominate. And it's a really high score. You know, and they, and they score outscore them. Cause I just don't think if both teams, you know what I mean? Like I think it's got to either be, it gets really ugly or Oregon's offense just wins the game for them. And probably I think it's probably more likely that it's ugly just cause I don't expect mm-hmm. Oregon's offense to do that right now in the first big game of the season um, with all the question marks at a couple position groups, but still putting in a new offense. Um, I'm not quite buying that yet. So that's where I'm at with that. And, and we'll talk a lot more, I'm sure over the next weeks. And then I keep wanting to say months, but over the next few weeks here, um, weeks, yep. it's wild uh, about kind of how this game might play out. And we'll have a lot more information with that. So um, six question and the last football related question, because we're going to end the show with baseball. That's right. More baseball. People liked Jared talking about baseball so much last time that they actually asked for more. 
um, which is great. Sixth question from at Quack Attack 74. With the average player ranking being nearly 2.5 points lower with this year, this year, sorry, is there concern? Do you see it improving with future commits and with players already committing, having good senior seasons? Hashtag Otson Audibles. I don't think they're going to reach the 2021 recruiting classes total team score. And that's what the 2.5 points is referring to um, is the composite average score per player, um, which was over 92. And again, I don't have the deep, the, the, the old things pulled up in front of me here because I'm on my phone and there's only one way for me to do this. Um, but that was like 92. And right now it's just about 90. It actually went up on Wednesday when they new batch of two, four, seven sports rankings came out, which kind of, curb the notion that Oregon always gets its players demoted because they actually, most of the guys improved their ranking in this, uh, um, this recent batch and, and Oregon actually moved up a little bit in the team rankings, not to, not in like place by place, but by a score. Um, but there is, mo- there is mobility and that is something that does happen as players change their, their rankings. Um, but they aren't going to catch last year's class because last year's class was like basically all blue chippers. It was like, all four-star prospects this year's class already has more three-star prospects than they had in all of 2021 um is it possible guys move up sure not impossible i'm not guaranteeing it i'm not relying on it i think it's probably fair to expect that this class does have a lower per player average score and that's as jared set us up it's fine that's not the worst thing in the world i think 2021 was almost a bit of an outlier, not because of the top tier guys, because they didn't have a five star on two four seven sports composite. I know Kingsley Sumateo was a two four seven five star, but the composite said otherwise. But not because of the top tier guys, because I think Oregon's probably going to have as many or you know close to as many top tier guys in this class. But just because of the total depth, like I said before, there was almost no one in this that entire class that was a non four or five star prospect. This year's class already has about half a dozen. A little bit more than that, actually. Um, I think it's seven. So they're going to have a harder time getting that average up. It's still going to be a really good class. Um, And now to the point of like, do I see it improving with commits and players having good senior seasons? Certainly, I think the commits and some of the prospects they're they're in on out there right now and that players I feel good about would raise this commitment average. There's no question about it. And I think that will happen. I do think it'll be a higher number. and I'm not, I'm just straight up not going to rely upon players being promoted on the rankings because that's honestly pretty hard to predict. So I'll say that, yeah, I think they're going to have a final higher per player average quack attack by the time this is all wrapped up. I don't think they'll catch 21, but I think it's going to be better than that. And I think this class as a whole is going to be looked back at as a massive success. Yeah. Jared, I, do, we, do you just want to jump to baseball, Jared? Sure. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll I'll quickly just go off of it and just say, like, like you were saying, the 2021 class is just so absurd in terms of the blue chip ratio and how many, you know, like, just tremendous players there were. You know, the 23 commits, 19 of them were four stars. Or, like, it's hard to get any better than that. And, you know, that's a sixth-ranked class in the country. You're behind the, the big guys. Jared, I'm going to sound like my dad calling me to ask for tech support. Can you pull up the 2022 rankings and just say how many four slash five stars there are? There are 16 in the class, just to kind of illustrate the disparity there. Because I think it is, I thought it was seven three stars from the 2022 class. 
Uh, just the 2022 for- class has eight three stars right now. Okay, so it's, oh, it's one more. So I mean, that's yeah. that's already twice what they had in 2021. So that that's the kind of thing you have to deal with. Some of those guys could get bumps. A couple of them are pretty close, but um, more than more than likely, they're just not going to have the the horses here from a totality perspective to catch that that number. Yeah, 100. percent It's just going to be nearly impossible, and yet you know, by all means, Oregon will still probably finish with a top 13 class. And- I'll be top. I think top 10 is not crazy at this point. Actually, I think I'm probably more optimistic now than I was a couple months ago, just because I think there's some, some good players that are, I don't want to say trending, but they're in a good spot with a couple of which I've, I've hinted at on this podcast and kind of put myself in trouble with. So I'm going to stop doing that. All right. Uh, <laughs> last one from at Robbie Parnes. He, Robbie is, he just names you by name here, Jared, hoping at Jared underscore max seven, which by the way, go follow him on Twitter. If you have not, can chime in on how the Ducks baseball recruiting class looks following the MLB draft. Any recruits possible? Going, Jared, I am not even going to pretend to know anything about this question, so I'm going to hand it right <laughs> off to you because if I said anything, it would honestly be so uneducated that it would be not helpful. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, let me uh, – so, Robbie, I'm going to try to do this relatively fast. I think I could probably go 20, 30 minutes on my own just in this class. But then again, I am a baseball well, nerd. I'm timing. This is – we said 5 to 7, Jared. Let's shoot for we that. We said 5 to 7. All right, 6.30. All right, let's start. So I'm going to start with the second part of your question, any incoming recruits <laughs> possibly going pro rather than coming to Eugene. So right now, Oregon had four play, four people drafted in their class. You had Noah Williamson in the 19th round, Mason Auer in the fifth, Tanner McDougal in the fifth. Those guys were six picks apart. And then Elmer Rodriguez-Cruz in the fourth. So right now, Mason Auer and Tanner McDougal are signed. Noah Williamson is a 19th round pick. I'd expect him not to sign. And Elmer Rodriguez-Cruz is a fourth round pick. Who would I, I bought, drafted by the Red Sox? As a Red Sox fan, I want him to sign. But if he doesn't, that's going to be quite the player to, to keep your eye on. He's a top 60 kid in the country, according to uh, baseball prospectus. Uh, he's a slender, right-handed pitcher. He's 6'4". He gets up to 94 this year. Um, from the reporters for the Red Sox, and what I keep reading is that this kid has high, high potential. And if he comes to Oregon, that would be fantastic. It would be a very good addition to the team. Uh, he's a Puerto Rican high school prospect so he was at draft eligible um but yeah he's he's someone to keep an eye on to see if he signs I wish Tanner McDougal didn't sign I, I'm really high on him the 6'6 right-hander from Nevada he was the 86th overall prospect in in uh, baseball prospectuses class this year he's got a tremendous fastball curveball combination really a big fan of his makeup um but anyways I'll talk to you about people who are actually coming to Eugene this year and should be freshmen on the baseball team. So we'll start with Anson Arrows, who I uh, talked to today and made sure that I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He's a catcher out of Placer County in California. Um, He's a switch hitting catcher. Uh, I think he's better overall on the right side. His left side swing gets a little loopy uh, and his hands are much quicker on the right side, Uh, just more line drives. But what makes uh, Anson so special as his defense. I think he's an elite defensive catcher. I think he'll be really, really good at Oregon. Um, somebody who could go on to the MLB draft, maybe just on glove alone. Um, and I also, this is you know, just me, but I expect Jack Scanlon to probably move to first base next year. I think Anson might 
just overtakes Scanlon just based off his glove. Uh, moving on, we have Jacob Walsh. And no, not the Angels prospect. Uh, Jacob Walsh is a first baseman who's coming to Eugene. Uh, he's got good size. I think he's 6'4". Um, he's got a, he's got a good swing. His hands held high. It's a little long and he uses a toe tap. So that might be something that coach Mark Wazikowski and the staff works on, but he's got easy power. Got a good launch angle off of his bat just naturally, which is always lovely to hear. Uh, then we have Garrett cutting who's a shortstop prospect. Oregon has taken six, excuse me, five shortstops in this year's class. So I like cutting a lot. He's the highest rated of them all. Um, He's short to the ball on his swing. He's from the right-hand side. He kind of, his swing reminds me a little bit of Aaron Zavala's swing, just from the right-hand side. Um, I thought he has good back leg drive and really drives the ball out to the gaps. He'll naturally just develop power as he gets stronger. Um, his defense is, is pretty good. I see him more as a future second baseman. Um, but that's, that's it for him. And lastly, we'll go to Tanner Vaughn. Who's a right-handed right-handed pitcher? He's six three two ten. He uh, has gained six or seven miles an hour on his fastball since twenty seventeen. He's got an easily projectable frame, broad shoulders. His fastball was up to ninety miles an hour this past year. Uh, I think he's someone who, with the help of some of the data and technology that Oregon has used in the last two three years, I think he can really grow. As a player, I think worst case, I think he can become a good power bullpen arm, but I think he'll have a chance to make an impact maybe his freshman year, but most likely his sophomore and junior year. Um, but yeah, that's what I have. Those are my my guys who I'm keeping an eye on for this year's the, the 2021 recruiting class for Oregon baseball. What do we got, Eric? Five minutes. What? Uh, you nailed it. You nailed totally. it right on. That's great. I'm impressed. I will just uh, add uh, what he said. What he said is what I say. I, 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 whatever he said, I agree with it. I think it's great analysis, and, and I would, couldn't say it any better um, because I don't know any of the names or, or anything of what he just said. So I w- that sounded like – all that sounded very foreign to me, Jared. I will say <laughs> I think it's great that we're going to have Duck Baseball on the podcast. I think it's going to be great having better coverage of Duck Baseball because I do think Coach Waz seems to have something going. I think last year was a huge improvement. Certainly. As, Yes. As somebody who covered George Horton coach teams for a while, loved George, really fun to talk with. Style of play, stylistically, wasn't always that fun to watch. And I will honestly kind of just welcome a switch to something that maybe is even more fan-friendly, especially when it leads to more wins like it seems to the first couple of years here. So um, always great to have Jared on the show for a lot of reasons, but especially when we're going to have to field any baseball centric questions because i don't know anything and i don't think matt know uh, matt probably knows less so um collect collectively collectively <laughs> I have we have one to... more thing i forgot to mention so oh mason please. sorry uh, mason hour who i mentioned earlier was a fifth round pick is going pro i don't think i mentioned that but he uh, signed a contract today i believe with the tampa bay rays he was a junior college kid who was going to come to oregon but fifth round pick go get your money man yeah, I think we have to add that to your total duration on the five to seven minutes, and you're still within, still but in. pu- still pushing good. it, pushing it a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks to Jared for, A, answering some questions, especially the baseball question at the end, and for, B, trying to help me through what was a very trying 40 minutes and a kind of an embarrassing, humbling experience of not being able to figure out how to use a computer at age That's 32. Okay. 
but uh, here we are. Uh, I think this turned out honestly about as well as it could, given the circumstances. Thank you so much for those that are listening. They're going to listen to this for being patient. I actually got a direct message from one of you, one of the question askers even, uh, asking where the podcast was. So it's great to know that there is interest and a desire to listen. Um, Continue to send those questions in. Again, every Monday or Tuesday, I will post on Twitter uh, a prompt asking for questions. And you as a listener have the opportunity to throw whatever you want at us. We will use some discretion in selecting them. We're getting more and more questions by the week as I think football season closes in. There's about um, over a dozen questions this week, and we, we, we cut it down to seven. Um, so continue to submit those. Continue to listen to the Ots and Audible podcast. And for Jared Mack, you've been listening to the Ots and Audible podcast. This is Eric Scopel, and we will talk to you folks later. See you later.